Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Have I Got Moves For You, brought to you by Farmers Guardian and CMEX. I'm Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs, and this episode of the pod, as well as all the previous editions, are available via your favourite podcast provider. Make sure you check them out. In this edition, Farmers Guardian Head of Livestock Katie Jones, who is also the new editor of sister title Dairy Farmer, talks to Cheshire Dairy Farmer Karen Holton about how she recruits, manages and motivates staff, as well as the importance of opening up the farm to other farmers and the public, and why she is so keen to mentor others. Having forged a successful career prior to being involved in the farm, Karen left behind a high-flying role in legal recruitment 11 years ago in order to join her husband Tom in the world of dairy farming. She strongly believes that this experience outside of the farming industry has been invaluable to the success of the couple's Holton Farms business, which today encompasses a 530 crossbred herd formed on a 550-acre rented farm at Congleton, Cheshire, a raw milk vending machine and, more recently, a milk round. Here, she tells Katie about her journey. CMEX is committed to delivering genetics for life in a world that demands compassionate sustainability. With health at the forefront of our innovation genetic solutions, CMEX's pledge to positively impacting profit on the dairy farm is unwavering. As all shows and farm visits are cancelled this year due to COVID-19, it is more important than ever that our industry continues to communicate and share experiences. To find out more about CMEX, visit www.cmex.co.uk. Karen, firstly, thank you for agreeing to speak to me today, albeit in a socially distanced format. So today we are at Halton Farms, but could you take us right back to the beginning and give us an insight into your background and what you were doing before you started farming? Yeah, sure. Hello, Katie. Um, Welcome to Halton Farms. So, which has been my home now probably uh, for the last 15 years. Uh, But prior to that, if we go right back to the beginning, I started my career as a groom on a racing yard when I first left school. Um, Something that I absolutely loved and couldn't really understand why I got paid for doing my hobby, but it was great. One thing I did learn from that is there wasn't a lot of money in it. So I went out, I was quite ambitious. I didn't realise I was very ambitious, but I think I always have been and a little bit competitive. So I went out and thought, well, I I don't ever want to get married and settle down and rely on a man. So I'm going to go and get a career and buy my own house, be totally independent and buy my own car. So I did. So I started off, actually I ran an osteopathic clinic. I started off as a receptionist and this is probably where I learned that maybe I was just a little bit competitive. Another lady started at the same time and I was going to be her junior receptionist and she was going to be the practice manager. And anyway, she wasn't that good. So within six weeks, she was sacked and I was the practice manager and I kind of realised then um, I was a bit ambitious. So from there, I stayed there for about five and a half years and didn't realise, but I suppose I was doing a bit of a salesy job, never wanted to do sales And then the practice was being sold, just the actual business, but the property was remaining. And I loved the house. And I remember saying to the guy that owned it, you know, if you ever sell this house, let me know, because I just love this house. And he sold his business and wanted me to work for him in another venture. And I didn't fancy it. So I went to register at an agency to get a job. And every time I went, it was like a recruitment agency. And they kept saying, oh, have you ever thought about doing recruitment, do recruitment? I was like, no, no, don't do sales. Don't want to do anything like that. I want to go and do a bit more sort of HR work um, in companies. And they were like, no, no, no. So I kept having these interviews with sort of these um, managers or directors of these recruitment businesses. And they were all there with these big, long red nails and bright red lips. And it was just everything I didn't want to be. And then they started offering me these salaries that I was like, oh, my God, that looks like I can't turn it down. So one lady um, that I did see who owned a company called Pertemps Cream, in Stoke said to me I've got three offices and one of them's doing really really badly and if it doesn't turn itself around in about four months or even less I'm going to shut it down and this office is really good the Stoke one the crew one was doing well which one do you want I need a manager and I said I'll take the bad one so I took the Stafford one and I won a big contract for Argos we turned it around Uh, it did really really well and then I got headhunted um, about three years later from a company in London 
who wanted some offices opening in the north, in Manchester. So I met him at the Midland Hotel for dinner one night and he offered me the job and I stayed with him for about 12 years and I set all his northern business up. So I did Manchester, Birmingham and Leeds and about two years later, after working for him, I offered me a directorship. So that's what I did. So then how did you make the leap from that to, to Holton Farms? Um, that's a bit of a weird one because in the middle of all this, when I was 18, I went out with Tom Holton and we were together for about 12 months and then Tom very rudely dumped me, he said. <laughs> he probably, yeah, he tells a story um, that I was very spoilt and apparently we went away for the weekend with some friends to Blackpool and I wanted him to buy me a pair of boots because I was always used to boys doing what I wanted and getting what I wanted and he refused and we had a big argument and the cheeky devil dumped me was his mistake obviously (laughs) and then Tom went off and he got married and to Gaynor they had a son Jack who Jack's now 24 and yeah that was that so I was like right that's it I'm never getting married don't want to rely on a man I'm going to do it all for myself so I went off and got a career very independent I ended up buying the property that was the osteopathic clinic I'd already bought my own house when I was 23 and then the house next door that I rented out and then this osteopathic clinic came up, which was a beautiful double-fronted fronted house in Sandbach. And I managed to buy that as well, and I rented that out. So, and then, yeah, and then one day, I don't know, I think I was dropping, I was dropping my goddaughter, I'd been riding and I'd got my goddaughter with me. So I'd, I'd be about 34, 35 by this point, still single, independent. And I was dropping her off at her dad's place, who happened to be going out with one of Tom's sisters. And... I dropped her out of the car, went to drive away, and she come running after me, going, Auntie Kaz, Auntie Kaz, wait, somebody wants to say hello. And I turned round and Tom was there walking towards the car. And so I'd got no makeup on, all my hair scraped back. I looked a mess, I'd just been riding. And he come over and said, Oh hi, how are you? Nice to see you, and started chatting. That was in the October. It still took him till about the December. It was the beginning of January, sorry, for New Year's Eve to actually get in touch and say, would you like to go out for a drink? So I did, and then the rest was history. The other thing I always said, I was never getting married once I was 40, so we actually got married the day before I was 40. <laughs> That's going in fine. Yeah, very. <laughs> Just scraped it in there. <laughs> and then, so right up to the present day then, and tell me a little bit more about Holton Farms. Okay, so initially in the beginning, I didn't work at home. I was still working out of London. I was travelling a lot to London, doing a lot of client dinners, taking a lot of socialising, whining and dining, doing lots of things in Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester. So I kind of, if I was at home, I'd be leaving here at about probably sometimes quarter to six, half five, quarter to six in the morning. And I wouldn't get back till really late at night. So very, I didn't see a lot of Jack. Jack would have been, in the early days when we first got together, Jack was about nine and we got on really, I'm very lucky, Jack and I are really, really close, we get on very well, which I'm really lucky, but I didn't still, you know, it was really crucial that I probably did bond with him then, especially when he was younger, and I just, I didn't see a lot of him, so I kind of carried on my career for about another four years, and we got to a point where one of us had got to give, and really for Tom, it was pretty impossible for him to make any changes, being at the family farm, at the family business, it was just, it was a massive no-no, so... I said I'd give my career up and to be honest I was doing a lot of stuff at home anyway so the beauty about what I did was I would come home on a Friday and pretty well switch off on a Friday night and I wouldn't think about anything again until I started prepping for the following week on the Sunday afternoon and I'd start getting things ready and knowing what I was doing and going and what my staff would be doing the next week but I had the whole of the Saturday and half of the Sunday but Tom was working so I'd just be like oh I'll come out then and help you or I'll clean some carbs out or I'll feed some carbs and I really enjoyed it and then there was things as well like what I was doing I I you know I had a lot of bonuses and earned good commission and I'd come home and go oh like you know I've just got this bonus and you know we're doing really well so uh, do you fancy going to Paris for the weekend you know and Tom would be like oh I can't I'm working I'd be like oh right and then I come home one day and I went oh I've just had a massive bonus do you want to go to the Maldives and he'd be like no, we're silaging. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh my God, what is the point of all of this? Why am I, you know, what was the point? And I kind of felt, well, you can't beat them, join them, you know. 
So I came home and I made the decision that I would do that at the same time as I got married. So Tom's dad was sort of um, still doing a lot of the paperwork and things and the red tractor and all that sort of stuff, but it was getting a little bit too much by that point. And there was a lot of systems. I mean, they were still paying people from the bank. So every Friday, Tom's mum would go to the bank and cash a cheque and then come home and um, pay everybody in cash and put it all on the side and tally it all up. And I just kept thinking, you know, you could just do online banking. It would take 10 minutes and things like that. There was lots of quick wins I could see for us. It was met with quite a bit of resistance. And I was probably the most hated daughter-in-law in the farming community and probably the country. But I just have to have a thick skin and get over that because the long-term goal, I knew we could improve a lot of things. And at the end of the day, I married Tom. I didn't marry his parents. And I knew eventually Philip would step down. And we've got to get it right for Jack because there's another generation coming in behind us. And we'd got to get this business right and make it something for Jack going forward if he wanted it. Mm-hmm. So I just kept my head down and kept thinking that way, really. Um, yeah, so I made lots and lots of changes. Some went down okay, some really didn't. Uh, but the staff were always behind me. And I think that was the key. I'd got the respect of the staff, which really helped me. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's a massive thing, isn't it, with with farming the importance of staff and, and we'll come back to that um, a bit later and um, but you, you you made a comment about making some you know some quick wins some quick changes how do you think your experience in a in another industry helped you take on this new role at, at Holton Farms as as you say as the daughter-in-law but also kind of taking that next step onwards with Tom massively absolutely massively it was the key driver really into what we did because I was a completely blank canvas, but then I was coming in with a completely fresh set of eyes. So I didn't come in here and say, oh, well, this is what we do. This is the way we've always done it. So we're not going to change anything. I came in and sort of looked and went, well, in a different industry, this is how you'd have to do it to survive. This is how we need to start thinking. I remember I used to say to my father-in-law sometimes, it's a business. We've got to run it as a business. It's not a charity. It's not a nursing home. It's a business and that's how we've got to view it. And we're coming into like the business world now. Farming was changing. We were going into world markets and, you know, milk, um, how we get paid. It, it So much was just revolving around so many outside elements that probably hadn't have been there for all those years ago. You know, the price of butter and the price of milk powder and all those things were being factored in. So it had got to be viewed very differently. We had got to make changes. And I was always taught in business, if you stand still, you die. So we'd got to keep moving forward and trying. And we'd also not got to be afraid of trying things that don't work. And I think that's what sometimes I felt held this business back, um, was that we never really tried things enough or looked sort of just, I I hate the term, but outside the box just thinking that bit outside the box I suppose my background it it gave me the confidence because I'd done all these things so the staffing thing that we'll come back to you know I'd done all that and I'd already learned what worked and what didn't and it's exactly the same in any business Mm -hmm. um, how you deal with people Mm -hmm. is exactly the same and I suppose then as well because I'd not got a farming background when I was doing different things or coming up with different ideas Nobody could had really got a comparison to say, oh, well, such and such did that and it didn't work. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was untried, really. So, And I guess no preconceived ideas about how things should be. And you were able, I guess, to, if there was something you didn't know, go out and do the research and find it out rather than just thinking, well, this is how so-and-so does it or this is how we should do it. Yeah, and I what I did do was I didn't listen to the people around me in this business. So if we'd got a problem or I needed to know something or learn something, I went out into... So I'd go to speak to the vets. Um, I'd go to a seminar. I'd go online. I'd find an article in a paper. I'd do loads of research outside of this business to either make sure this business was doing it right or to make sure was there something else we could do better because this business got a lot of things right. You know, it was a good farming business it could just be taken to the next level. And I just needed for me to, if I was going to be a part of it, 
I needed to know that we were getting things or doing them as well as we could do them. Mm-hmm. And I was just testing that because I didn't know any better. So it was a great learning curve. It was a brilliant learning curve. And I suppose it gave Tom a bit of more confidence as well because he kind of had an ally in the camp. And it was somebody maybe pushing him forward. You know, I was really pushing him forward as well. And it would be the typical farming business, really, where the parents are still very much in control. And even though he was a partner, and they were also partners at the time with the landlord as well and his son. So that had been going on for, I don't know, 40 years probably. And I couldn't quite get my head. I found that a bit weird. So I was like, why would you do that? We need to be on our own and paddle our own canoe. So that did come to an end. Um, but that was because uh, we wanted to invest further and have a new parlour and they didn't want to put the investment in. So that naturally came, sort of, we had to buy them out and that all came to an end, which was, again, great for us. Mm-hmm. It was a real bonus for us. And, and a lot of the listeners will, will be familiar with Holton Farms, but could you just give, for those that don't, a, a brief overview of what, of what the farm is now, what the business is? Yeah, OK, so now um, it's not a partnership now, it's a limited company. Uh, There's two directors, there's Tom and myself. He always reminds me he's just got two shares more, Uh, (laughs) just to keep me uh, on my toes. We rent 550 acres on the Road Hall Estate near Congleton in Cheshire. We milk 530 three-way cross. We actually use the pro-cross system. Cows, so that's a Holstein cross Montbelliard cross Swedish red. We milk three times a day. We've got a team of, including now because we've just started pasteurising our own milk and putting it on the doorstep, there's actually about a team of 14 of us now. We also have another unit just up the road, uh, which is our heifer rearing unit. So closed herd, we rear all our own replacements. And all in all, I think Tom's father came here to the estate in 1968 with 34 cows. The landlord had 34 cows. They put them together and that's where it all started. And you mentioned that there's a team of of 14 um, people and you spoke earlier about your experience managing staff. Um, How important is the team to the business? I'm guessing very. And and how do you go about recruiting and retaining those good staff? Without the team to my business is my business. If I don't have the right people, I have no business. So I don't have it. I'm only as good as my last herds manager or my last calf rearer. I'm only as good as the last person who cleans the beds off every morning because if they're not getting it right, that's damaging to my business and I don't get it right. For them to get it right depends on how well I train them, mentor them, look after them, how much I appreciate them to keep the morale up because, you know, it is tough. Uh, The weather's changing now. You know, we had a horrendous milk price drop over COVID It was really horrible. Tom took it very badly and was very extremely stressed. So it was tough, but we had to keep everybody else going. And I think that is part of, if you can get respect from people and you look after them, they're going to do that and they'll go on that. You know, it's been a tough journey, but they'll go on it with you and they'll do everything to help us get through it and succeed. We work as a team. We really work as a team. To get people... I think really nowadays it's a lot of word of mouth. I used to advertise and I used to probably get quite a lot of applicants that weren't relevant. And I don't mean that from I want experienced people. Quite often I don't want experienced people. I want what I call a bit of fresh meat (laughs) because I want blank canvases. So nobody comes with any preconceived ideas. They're going to come here and they're going to work at the standard and the level we work at in the way we work. I want people that can change and adapt to things. So I want people that aren't afraid of change or I can help them not to be because we will try lots of things and some things we'll fail at, but some things we'll really get right. And if we fail, we'll try it a different way. So we're really open. So I want people as well that have got a lot of initiative and come to us. And sometimes the people from outside the industry are the best ones at that because they'll come and say they're the people on the shop floor and they're the ones where they'll come and say, why do we do that? We've got to be very open into actually standing back and looking at why do we do that, actually? Yeah, we've been doing it like that for 10 years. Why? And Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, and having that conversation and then not be afraid to say, yeah, actually, we can do that a lot better. You've got a great idea there. We'll change it. So we empower people and we listen to their ideas. And even when they're rubbish ideas, we'll still 
kind of talk to them as if it's a great idea, but we'll give them the reason why, no, we won't change it. Um, but everybody's a part of that, so the whole team's included. We don't make decisions behind closed doors and then go on the yard and tell everybody what they're doing and why. You know, we always tell people why we've changed something, but the people really in the business are a big part of anything we change. And have you got any um, kind of policy for ongoing training or any courses that you take people on, that sort of thing? Yeah, we do loads of stuff like that. We did the Hills Green conference, the Cultivate conference. So Tom and I and Simon, our herds manager, quite a few team members do get to go to things and I get to go to loads of conferences with being the strategic farm for AHDB. So we get to do loads of it. And I often sit and they'll be a far away from home and I sit there and I think, oh God, I wish Grace was here. This would be really good for her. Or I wish um, Laura could hear this or Joe. And, and I've always thought that. And when Andy did that Cultivate conference, I think I took 11 almost. <laughs> Because it was on the doorstep and I even took Ruby, who at the time was 15 and she does calves every other weekend. But I thought if somebody gave me that opportunity at 14 to go and and she might have only, there might have been a fraction of something she heard that was useful to her in that conference. But she had that experience at 14, at 15. And if one thing she learned from it. That was brilliant. It was literally up the road. It was an amazing conference. And my whole team came out of there absolutely buzzing. So I literally, I think I left two people at home, one of which was Tom, much to his disgust. (laughs) And one of which, I think Pete actually stayed at home as well, bless him. Pete's worked with us for over 30 years. He worked for Tom's dad. Pete didn't mind staying at home. And I think I got a relief person in. I'm pretty sure I got a relief person in. And then a lad that just used to do a bit of work after school came in. And between them, they managed to kind of hold the fort. It did make me slightly nervous, but they got through it. I got sent pictures. Tom was driving around on the scraper tractor with a glove on his head. For some reason, a plastic glove. We we never got to the bottom of it, but he was sending stupid pictures throughout the day. But it was fantastic that they could all go and experience that and everybody loved it. And then anything we're doing, we'll bring people in. So we have like, we use our vets a lot as like a consultancy. We don't really use them. Obviously, we have to have drugs off them now and again. But we're always targeting to use less antibiotics. We're way below the threshold. Um, We do lots and lots of preventative stuff. We're not reactive. We're massively into prevention. So we don't have a massive drugs bill. We have a massive training bill with them. So all the time, you know, we have a routine every Friday, PD session, and then we'll just for half an hour or an hour, just do a bit of something. We might be doing it on dry cow, selective dry cow. We might be doing it on lameness. We might, you know, we'll just have a chat with the team about different things, about spotting bulling cows. There's loads, you know, we really use them like that. Um, we host, so we'll also send people on foot trimming courses, AI courses, even if they're not going to predominantly be doing it as part of their job. I think it's really important that everybody learns a lot of everything around the business Mm -hmm. and then it might make them somebody might at a review meeting might turn around to me and say well actually yeah I would like to do more AI in it's something I'm interested in so there's loads of stuff going on there's loads of stuff out there that people can send like AHDB love them or hate them and my husband has always been one of the biggest critics let me tell you And when I entered into the strategic farm thing, I always thought, oh my God, he could get us totally hated here by AHDB. But I still took him on that journey. And doing that, he did change his tune a little bit. He got better about it. But what he didn't understand is, you pay your money, you'll only get out what you put in. But you've got to go and get it. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's going to come to you and knock on the door with with some magic potion saying, use this and it's going to train all your staff for you and it's going to run your business it's not like that you've got to go and get that material it is there Mm. and if it's not there you go knock on the door and say I want more information on this and they will go and find it for you so you have got to use it and we pay for it so get your money's worth I've had way more than my money's worth out of them now some of the people that have been on this farm are people I could never have got close to you know I had Jim Reynolds from America who's like a guru of animal welfare, come round my farm and go all the way round it, checking, looking, listening to what we do, you know, to help give us some advice of how we could be even better. I mean, you know, I couldn't afford to get Jim Reynolds over from America and to meet him, it was just amazing because I'm so onto the animal welfare thing. 
Um, it was just fantastic. So you have got to go and get it. We do that much of it that we had a meeting with the accountant this time. And he said to us, yes, yes, you know, okay, you haven't made as much profit as you should have done this year. And there's a few contributing factors like we'd set up this, we'd set up the processing business and the delivery business that we were using to deliver our milk wasn't right for us. We partnered with somebody that wasn't right for us, but we didn't realise at the time. So that did a little bit of damage and cost us a bit of money. So we had to get rid of them, then start up ourselves within 24 hours a delivery business overnight, which was really interesting. But the only way you do that is by just throwing some a bit of money at something. And so he was sort of saying that and he said, and I've gone through everything. And the only thing I can really see is where you could cut back is on staff and not on actual people. Um, it's actually how you treat them. And the things you do for them and the amount of training they have. And don't get me wrong, I'm, he said, I'm not criticising it. He said, it's where we should be in the industry. He said, you know, you're at the top of the curve and it's great. But he said, your fertility and your lameness and everything, you're on top of everything. The only place I could say where you could save some money if you wanted to is just, you know, don't treat them to lunch every time you have a meeting and probably don't send them to as much training. Mm. He said, that's the only thing I can really pick on at the moment. So, you know, I'm not going to get upset about that. <laughs> you mentioned about the work that you've done with AHDB, being a strategic farmer. Obviously, you've, you've appeared in Farmer's Guardian before. I'm sure you've appeared in other farming press um, and, and, local, and local media as well. A lot of farmers are quite often quite resistant to having their farm on show. You're obviously not. Why is it? Why do you think it's important that you do put yourself out there? I think it's important because it's a two-way street as well as us trialing stuff and trying things you know we're all in it together we want the industry to be a better place we need to protect the industry from the bad press so those of us that are willing to try things and look at new things have then got to share those things we've got to inspire others um, to try and for those that probably could be doing a better job We've got to give them the information to try and help them be better. But why go, you know, I I tap into the AHDB stuff. So I tap into it to share it and to help everybody else. Something that drives me, I'd get bored if we were just putting units on cows and just milking cows. It's just not in me because of probably my career I had before. So all the time I'm driving to find things out. If I'm going to find those things out, even if they come at a cost to find out, I don't understand why I wouldn't share that to help other people. That would just be the normal for me. But then also, massively, it's what you learn from other farmers. So even they come on the farm, and I always say it's a bit like dropping your pants in public, because it really is. And I use that term, because I don't know how else to term it. But it is. You know, we're opening a door and saying sometimes you'll get 40, 30 or 40 farmers. You know, we've had up to nearly 100 people on here at a meeting and you're completely wide open to people asking you absolutely anything. One thing we've got to be if we're going to do it is we've got to be totally honest. So you've got to be quite thick skinned. You've got to say, yeah, no, I'm rubbish at that. Or, yeah, I'm good at that. This is what happened. No, I can't do that again because we just can't handle that. That's not for us. And you've got to hear what they tell you. So I learn things from other farmers. So although we're doing everything and you think you're speaking to experts and you're having all these people in from all over the world through being a strategic farm, you probably learn the most from other farmers who are doing it, but just don't talk about it. And I think it's a shame they don't talk about it. And I, and But if it's not their thing, it's not their thing. Don't get me wrong, I hate having my picture taken. I hate seeing myself on a video. It is my pet hate. I really hate it. But if I can help somebody, I'm willing to just get over that because another farmer really is uncomfortable with it, then, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I'm happy to do that. And we were talking before we started the interview um, and you mentioned about mentoring other farmers. So, so how does that work? Um, that just works in that I actually got approached by a few other farmers who have been, one of them came here to have a look at a vending machine that we've got. And this is another thing what they found. Some, a few farmers have said this to me that they'll phone around and say they want to get into having a vending machine and sell milk from the farm gate. And they'll phone a few people or farmers in the area or 
a bit further afield that they know have got the machines. And they're met with a bit of hostility in that they won't let other people come on the farm and learn too much about it. And it's almost like they might be a bit threatened about it and they're going to steal their business. But there's enough business for everybody, or there used to be. I mean, there's a lot more people doing it now. Um, so we started doing it about four and a half years ago, selling raw milk from the farm gate. And anybody that came to see us to chat about it, I'll openly tell you what it involves. And because we don't want people getting it wrong, because if somebody's going to do it anyway, you might as well help them to do it and get it right, because we don't want the bad press. You know, we don't want people failing at trialing new things. We need them to trial it and get it right so that the general public can look in and look at how good we are at everything and how great we can be. So we've got to help one another. And I'm straight away, I was like, yeah, come and see what we've got. And that week, it was sort of we were just coming out of the last, well, it was before we went into lockdown and one of them came. And I think I had four or five that week from all over the country. And then a few weeks ago, I had some guy from Anglesey, you know, and that's how it gets, you know, I can't imagine saying no. I'm not going to let you come to the farm and I'm not going to talk to you about what we do. And once you get them here, you know, you learn loads of things. You get the conversation going and then you start talking about cows and then you show them round and then you go into the calf pens and they like, you know, oh yeah, we did this. And then we tried that powder and you're like, right, okay, I'm going to trial that. Not heard of that one. I'm going to trial it. So there's loads of things to be learned. It's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's starting that conversation a lot of times, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think... Probably you'll get more of those conversations when it's one-on-one and people come on the farm. So, yeah, so I mentor a few people now, but usually they've kind of approached me. So they see what we're doing and how we're doing it and how we... And staff's a, ma- a massive one. So quite often people call because they want to learn a bit more about how to manage staff or how to get staff. Um, so I do a lot of work around that. You mentioned earlier about your milk price during COVID and also about the raw milk and your... delivery service can you just tell us a bit about how the lockdown and and covid has changed the business here what adaptions you've had to make to to cope with it yeah we didn't when we first went into it we kind of felt in the beginning i remember riding out with my friend just before we went into lockdown and we were just about to start doing the pasteurizing of the milk and there was a bit less traffic on the road and we were riding down the dairy drive and i said to my friend woody this is going to be amazing. We're going to go into lockdown. There's going to be no traffic and I'm going to have loads of time and I can ride out with you every day. That was the last time I sat on a horse. That was in March because that week we started pasteurising our own milk. Lockdown came and the milk just went crazy. So we partnered with a milk delivery company. There were three of them and it went that busy they were struggling to cope as well with the influx we thought they had the same passion about milk as we did but it turned out when it started happening all they wanted to do was just get as much milk on a doorstep as possible and unfortunately within that because they ended up with an influx of so many customers they were putting it on the doorstep at like midnight and one o'clock in the morning and that just didn't work for me because that milk was driving around the county at one o'clock in the morning, being put on a doorstep and then people weren't taking it in till seven. It was like, we then went into the summer and it was being put on a doorstep at 20 degrees, 24 degrees in the morning. And that was making me feel ill because our name was on that bottle. And I had a bit of trouble over it. You know, people were saying some milk went off and one thing or another. So we were doing loads of things, testing the milk. It was so stressful. Tom took it really bad. And we were doing everything in our power to make sure we were getting it right. And we were, had an advisor in, we were getting it right our end. It was just the cold chain was getting broken. So we then had to, in August, well, it was the end of July, I just said to this guy, that is it, here's your notice, we're going on our own. And literally overnight, he just swapped to another com- company, which is absolutely fine, because I really did not want him. But then I thought, well, we'll have to start again, we'll put some adverts out, you know, get a few customers. We've got another milkman in another area who never had any problems and was doing it differently, keeping everything really cold, not returning anything into the fridge and taking it out again. He was doing a brilliant job. He had no issues. So I knew what was going wrong. So I thought, oh, well, you know, we'll build it up really gradually. And then all of a sudden, all these people just started ringing, saying, we have your milk, but it's not your milk on our doorstep today. Why haven't I got your milk? 
this milk's different, it doesn't taste as creamy. And it just went from there and within 24 hours, we had to get a vehicle and by next minute, we're doing a milk round. And it was something I never wanted to do. And when we started it up, I remember going to Andy Venables at Hills Green and saying, can you help me out with the logos and everything? You know, I want to start this business and blah, blah, blah. And he kept saying, why are you not doing this yourself? And I was like, oh, because we're farmers and we milk cows and, you know, we do all that and we can do the pasteurising. We're not a logistics business. I don't want to get into the logistics. It'll be a nightmare. I can't be bothered with it. Taking people's orders. I said, I just don't have time for that. Well, I had to find the time because it was coming to me. And I just had this thing and Tom did that we couldn't let anybody down. And they were so passionate about having our product. And they were saying they loved the bottles. They loved the taste of it because we don't homogenise it. It's non-homogenised. So they could tell a real difference. And they were saying, you know, you're local. So many people wanted to support local. Um, they'd been to the farm before. They'd seen the cows. They'd noticed the welfare. They'd seen we'd won awards. And a lot of people were coming to us because of that. So we kind of felt we had to service that business. And we had to not let those people down. So we didn't. And that's what we did. And it probably is the best thing we ever did. It's been phenomenal. We've got now Joe who works for us. Um, his wife, Leanne, she had a baby about six or seven months ago. And luckily she had can get she's got childcare early hours in the morning. So she goes out and delivers Monday, Wednesday and Friday before she comes back and for the baby and then takes the little girl to school. So she loves it, absolutely works in perfectly. Then Tom does a little bit of around on the outskirts, which is probably business that doesn't bring us any money in because it's sort of dotted around the outskirts. But again, the customers that phoned up and said, we want your milk, you know, we love it. So we've had to service them. And then the mad thing is my nep- my eldest nephew is actually a pilot. Um, and he, fry- he flies like a massive Dreamliner plane, um, long haul. And so he's laid off because nothing's flying. The Dreamliner won't be going up for a long time. So it's going to be January, February before he gets back to work. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'll do you a round in some batch. So he sent his wife and the kids out with a load of flyers and he's got about nearly 100 customers. Wow. Yeah. So apart from like, you know, it's working brilliantly and he's loving doing it. He doesn't want to be doing nothing. So, you know, he's his own boss. He comes and picks his milk up on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday and off he goes and delivers it. And he's absolutely loving doing it. I don't think he's going to give his career up. I don't think it would pay. But in the meantime, you know, it works perfectly. And is that, is that side of the business something that you see expanding in the future or, or yeah. as it is for now? We keep getting some customers and we're like, yeah, we're happy with that. So we get to the first hundred and I'm like, yeah, no, hundreds lovely. It's just all right for just Leanne. That's great. Then another customer comes, then another. And then before you know it, you're up to 200 without even really trying. So again, I don't want to turn people away. But what I think I really want to focus on is... I don't want 500 customers and everybody averages a litre of milk three times a week. I'd rather have 300, but when you go to the doorstep, you're taking some rice pies, you're taking some butter, you're taking some eggs, you're taking chocolate-flavoured milk, you're taking a smoothie, you're taking some cheese, some bread. They're all the things we offer, and we're growing that offering all the time. And I think there we need to be selling as much as we can on each doorstep rather than driving all over the county to drop a litre or a pint here and there mm-hmm. and the markup in some of those other things is quite massive so they're the things we've got to target and they're the things we've got to sell so well, where are you sourcing your other products from then so we have pace's eggs so we have some of our eggs which i thought was going to be fine but we soon outgrow that eggs are so popular on the round so we get our eggs from pace's then we um, now have just launched Wright's Pies and Confectionery. So they drop us everything off on the night before we go out on our round. Everything really fresh. They do some great pies. And they, do, they are nice pies. They're really nice pies. And they're not extortionate money. You know, it's really reasonable. Then we also, there's a lady locally in Swettenham that does Cheshire honey. And that has been so popular. And that honey is actually gorgeous. And it, again... You look at how much the standard honey is in a supermarket and you look at that and it's not that much more expensive. So we we sell that now, that's popular. Just going into, we're putting like a breakfast box together. 
So people can order a little, they like little purple cool bags. So that's what we deliver all those bits and pieces in. So you can actually get a breakfast cool bag and it has in it sausages and tomatoes, has mushrooms, bacon and some eggs, half a dozen eggs. And so that's going on the doorstep next. And then what we do with those cool bags, it just has a little label on saying, please wipe and return with the bottles. Right. So you go, you pick that up, bring it home, we sanitise them and then they're ready to go out again. And I suppose it's, it's great because it's all local produce, so it's great for provenance, isn't it, as well? Exactly. And that's what we're really trying to work on. And we're finding that a lot of customers, that is what they're wanting. So when they're phoning, they're actually asking for local produce. But it's still got to be quality. We can't scrimp on the quality. You know, the milk is gorgeous. We're getting the feedback. It's like brings tears to your eyes. And it's like, as Tom's like proper soft like that. So Tom does get a bit emotional. But the whole team love it because I share it on the WhatsApp groups. We have like a social media WhatsApp group. And um, we share it on there. And, you know, the team are like, oh, that's brilliant. It's fantastic. So even the guys that scrape the beds off, you know, and drive, clean the yards and everything are like, oh, that's really brilliant. And when customers come direct and get milk out of the milk shack, they can also get the pasteurised milk as well now. And we do cheese and butter and eggs and everything in there. And um, lots of times, you know, the staff will go out and go up and speak to people because they want to talk, you know, and people will ask questions about the cows. And that's another really important thing I've noticed in this last four and a half years of doing the raw milk is we've got cameras on that yard and in the milk shack. And we watch people and they pull up in the car and about 90% of people get out and go straight to the carving box and have a look at the cows. And then they go to the milk shack and then they come back out and about another 70% go straight back again and have a look before they get back in the car. And that is priceless. And, you know, we talked about doing different things on that yard and moving things. And we're like, we can't, you know, we could do something else with that shed there because it literally is. It's actually the Yoni's pen of all things, we don't have a lot of them. And they don't look like they've got units to these crossbred things. And they don't look like it. Or there might be something that, you know, there could be a problem with a carving. So we'll keep it close up there so we can all watch it all the time. And that's the shed. And you think, those people, they just like love it. And if they see a cow carving, they've never seen it. So we see it all the time. And really, that's massive. And another little thing we've done, this is just going to be crazy. And I'm so annoyed about lockdown because we've had like a trailer built so my other my youngest nephew coach builds horse boxes at our heifer rearing unit there he's got a workshop there we set him up about eight years ago doing it and he's really really talented and he's built us on a trailer he's built us like a little fun bus we call it that you can drive people around so there's seating in it and it's covered and everything with all windows around it and you can drive people through the cows so I have quite often I'll have a family. So somebody who buys the milk will phone up and say, oh, my children, you know, really would love to see some cows. So I'll say, well, come, you know, social distance, wear your masks. I can take you around. But what I can't do quite often is get people inside the big shed to look at the cows and where they sleep, because we need to be telling them why we put them on a sand bed. You know, why they're not outside and why they're inside at the moment. We need to show them where the water is, where the food is, that they're happy and they're healthy. But our cows are so tame that you take people in, they just mob you and they're pulling your hair and licking you. Some people are fine, some people are scared to death. So we thought if we built this vehicle that we could tow them round and the passageways are massive in there, we can drive them actually through the passageways and they can actually be where the cows live and they can see everything. And I think that people, we've talked about it with some people and they just are so excited. I've got a massive waiting list, but I daren't do it at the minute because of the COVID thing. Mm. Um, it just really worries me that if we mixed a few, you know, I can take a family, we'll get away with that. But, you know, you start, I mean, it'll hold about 14 people. So, but I'm just rolling it out. The only people that are going to be able to do it to begin with is people that buy our milk. So we'll just let them do it first. I know I'm probably going to get a vegan party come at some point, but do you know what? If I do, I do. What are they going to do? Stab me? I don't know, you know, and if they don't like it, they don't like it. And I always say, I have, I've had the vegans in my calf pens um, one night, well, a couple of nights she came, um, filming. Right. And nothing, it was last year or the year before, nothing came of it. But I said, you know what, good luck to her. If she can find something, I need to know about it. So, yeah, bring it on. It's not ideal. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want the confrontation. And I'll do my best not to have it. But at the same time, 
I can't live my life being frightened to death of it. Fun, yeah, fun bus sounds like a great yeah, idea. Yeah, the farm fun bus. <laughs> um, you've obviously got a lot, lot going on here. How do you split your time between all the different strands of the business and also your responsibilities? What's a typical day in the life for you? They're not all typical. There's so much different stuff going on. I think one of my key things to be able to do it all is the people around me. So I surround myself with really good people who take ownership of things. So I have always have a motto, which is own everything you do and never settle for second best. So I try and surround my pe- myself with those sort of people. If I don't get those sort of people, I try and mentor them into that way of thinking. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Some people come on the journey with us and they're great to a level and then we have to stop the bus and let them off. But that's nothing to be ashamed about because I might have got them to a point and I just cannot get them any further. That's not good for them. It's not good for our business either. So sometimes you've just got to let them off the bus. The only thing is you'll hope that when we get to that point, they've got enough of a grounding or training that the next place they go to, it's really helpful. So I'm never ashamed of that. I'm never ashamed to let people go. So long as I know in my heart of hearts, I did everything that I could for that person and I did it right. So I make sure I get good people around me. I start at 4.30 in the morning um, on the calves. So I still rear the calves, but I've got a brilliant girl, Grace, who's my right-hand woman. And she really is the head of all of that now um, because I only do the morning bit. So Gracie hates early starts. <laughs> she won't mind me telling you. So it's really hard to get her to do the 4.30s. So I do the 4.30s and she comes on at 7. Apart from every other weekend, she does the early. And Grace um, really just runs all that for me now. She's young, she's keen, she's enthusiastic. She started coming to me as a Saturday job when she was um, like 15 or something. So she's now keen that we'll probably at some point get an assistant for her. And she can mentor and bring somebody on. And she's really, you know, her confidence is just great now. So she'd be brilliant for that. And that'll bring her on now if she starts mentoring somebody else. Then I've got people like my herds manager, Simon. You know, I know that he owns and looks after those cows like they're his cows. Now, I'm not bothered about that. You know, I don't go, oh, but they're my cows. They're my, you know, I don't want that. I want people to have autonomy in this business, to take ownership. And they're only going to do that if we let them, if Tom and I let them do that. It's just about communication and having meetings and just overseeing things and making sure things are right and trying to be, if something goes wrong, trying to get a positive out of it and not let everybody just spiral into these negatives. That's the key to it is the people. But I only get out what I put in, so I have to put a lot in, which is fine. But, you know, my accountant thinks differently at the moment. <laughs> No, he doesn't. He's fine. He knows why I do it. And and finally, um, the farm has won numerous awards in the past. I know you were silver medal winners in the British Farming Awards a couple of years ago. And more recently, you were awarded the Dairy Industry uh, Woman of the Year Award. So congratulations for that. And what does that particular award mean to you? Because that was a, an individual award. Yeah, well, firstly... British Farming Awards. I'm going to have another go at that one. (laughs) Innovator of the Year. Yeah, I'm going to try and get the gold on that one, Um, especially with everything we're doing now. Crikey. The Dairy Industry Woman of the Year. I never in a million years thought I would get through to that. And I was nominated by two people who are professional people in the industry. So it's not even like I'd made Tom nominate me or something. I hadn't. I hadn't. Nobody that knew me that well, nobody close to me or in the team had nominated me. And I, I never even expected, I don't even think about it. You know, look at the people that have won it, like Mary Quick and Jude Capper and people. I thought, I don't know, I just never even thought I'd even get to that kind of thing. And it was actually two professional people. And I was like, Wow. They, God, I didn't even think they knew me that well, but they've they watched me, haven't they? And they've seen me and they look at what we do and things. So yeah, brilliant, blown away. It finished there for me, if I'm honest, because I thought, wow, you know, that's just amazing. Then I get this thing to say that I'm a finalist and there's only three finalists. I'm like, wow, really? Then I look at who the finalists are. I'm like, not a chance, never in a million years. So I just said to my team, look, we could do a bit of something 
um, where I'll do a bit of food and we'll do the the thing at the night, you know, the awards thing. And we'll all sit round, you know, socially distanced around the kitchen table and you can all sort of share in it. And then I let it go on the back boiler because I thought, no, because they'll come and they'll all be excited and I'm not going to win it. And it'll be a bit of a, you know, it's a bit like New Year's Eve, isn't it? You know, you go out with all these great expectations and then it's a... T- and I thought, no, I won't do it. I'll let it all die down. And Grace had mentioned it a few times along the way and I just kept shutting her up. My friend Woody, who's staying here at the moment, she kept trying to make a big deal. And I was like, just brush it under the carpet because I'll be dead embarrassed because I'm not going to win it. Because I am still competitive in the background. So although I knew I wasn't going to win in my head, I still am a little bit competitive and I would have been gutted. But hey-ho. And then when I did, God, I was actually like... And I remember I'd said something about the gold cup. So in my re- so I think somebody had said in the, the interview bit, so what's next? And I said, well, I think we're going to have another go at the gold cup or something. And then when they said I'd won that, I was like, gold cup? What gold cup? Oh my God, I've just won something completely off my own back. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was absolutely blown away because I'm not a massive Im- ambassador of... You know, I don't go out working for RABDF, Women in Dairy. I don't do the NFU thing. I don't do all of that. What I do is other farmers. I'm trying to inspire all of those farmers that are in all of those organisations. But I'm not one of those organisations. So I kind of, I don't think I just really expected anything. But I'm so, so blown away. There's lots of stuff I do in the background that probably people don't know I do. I sit on a few different board things and do a few advisory things. I do a lot of work for the, probably not as much as I used to do because it's been so manic this year. But um, I do quite a bit of fundraising for the Agricultural Chaplaincy in Cheshire. And I also um, am on their management board, so I'm on their management team. So, you know, I try and drive a lot of funding their way and try and help as much as I can there with support and stuff and sort of like see that as well from a bit more of a business, try and get them to think a bit more strategically. Um, so I do quite a bit of work there as well, but there's lots of stuff probably I don't do. I do that probably people don't know about. Mentor probably about four farmers and not many people will know that. Mm-hmm. So whether they picked up on a lot of that stuff I do, I don't know. Thank you, Katie. It was quite painless, actually. Thank you. (laughs) Huge congratulations to Karen on her recent award of Dairy Industry Woman of the Year. The judges praised her for her passion for the industry and her willingness to challenge, question and lead change. She is clearly a very worthy winner. And that's it for Have I Got Moves For You. We hope you've enjoyed listening and hope you stay safe and well in these very, very strange times. Goodbye for now.